Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from leading showrunners Deborah Martin-Chase, Sam Esmail, Tanya Siraco, and Tony Ayres as part of C21's Content LA On Demand about their hopes of how the events of 2020 will inform storytelling in the TV business this year and beyond. C21's Content LA On Demand virtual conference got underway last week with a series of panel discussions and one-on-one interviews exploring how the US television business is evolving in a period of unprecedented change. From the shift to streaming, the challenges of keeping production going during the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement and a shift towards more international focused development, these discussions tackle the gamut of issues and opportunities confronting the Hollywood system right now and the status of US programming on the global stage. A quartet of leading showrunners attached to NBC Universal's Universal Studios group talked about post-2020 storytelling, how audience appetites are changing and how they're responding to develop series with inclusivity and cultural sensibility at the core. Deborah Martin-Chase, Sam Esmail, Tanya Siraco and Tony Ayres spoke with Universal Studios Group Chairman Perlina Ikbokwe. I'm Perlina Ikbokwe, Chairman of Universal Studio Group. Thank you all for joining us today for our first C21 panel since we brought our four television studios, Universal Television, UCP, NBC International Studios and Universal Alternative Studios under one umbrella. These studios maintain their distinct brands, each with its own identity in the marketplace, but by bringing all of these creative businesses under one roof, we're able to harness our tremendous collective resources to create a global storytelling brand. Our focus is to create content that not only entertains, but also resonates with the worldwide audience. So to talk a little bit about creating for the global audience and the future of storytelling, I've invited some of our USG creators here today. First, noted film and television producer, Deborah Martin-Chase. Deborah is currently producing the number one series on broadcast television, The Equalizer, starring Queen Latifah. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Perlina. Next, screenwriter, director, producer, Tony Ayers. Based in Melbourne, Tony co-created and produced Stateless, starring Kate Blanchett, and is creator and showrunner on the upcoming uh, new Netflix. Netflix series Clickbait. Hey, Tony. Hi, Pelina. Writer, producer Tanya Siracho joined our USG family last year, hot off of her critically acclaimed stars series Vida. Hey, Tanya. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> and writer-producer-director Sam Esmail, known for series like the award-winning Mr. Robot, starring Rami Malek, and Homecoming, starring Julia Roberts. Hey, Sam, how are you? Hi. So we're going to jump right into the questions. First, let's start with the big one. From the pandemic to the conversation around social justice and inclusion, the world has changed in the last year in so many ways. There seems to be, I think, a light at the end of the tunnel, but clearly there's a long way to go. I want to hear from all of you on this one, So, but I'm going to start with Deborah. How do you hope storytelling and the entertainment industry will change moving forward, given the events of the past year? This has been a heck of a year for everybody in the world. And what I hope that it has helped all of us be more honest. I mean, I think, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and the continuation of Me Too and you know, just all of the pressing issues, hunger, everything that we've confronted in this past year, I think all of us have a need for honesty, for truth for transparency. And so hopefully that can be reflected in our storytelling. I mean, I find honestly, as a Black woman, I'm having 
conversations about around storytelling that are so honest and so coming from my heart and my soul in a way that I haven't really been able to in, in the past because people are really interested, I think, in hearing different perspectives in a way that they weren't before. So um, yeah, that that's that's my hope that we can and we can tell stories that we haven't been able to tell in the past because people are interested in each other and their his in our collective and individual histories in a way that they haven't been before as well. Tony? I guess, you know, we've all been through a period of where we, the world has gone through this global catastrophe and I'm kind of hoping that 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 might, you know, like obviously in some areas it's kind of led to some polarisation in societies and I think that that's, you know, unfortunate, but also I'm hoping that there's an opportunity for a more compassionate view of the world because we've all, all had similar experiences in different ways and I think that where we've seen the differences, we, we've also seen um, systems of power in operation and in a way that we, I think, are more stark than ever before. So... So, uh, you know, and we've all had time to reflect upon how those systems of power actually affect our lives. And, and so, you know, I kind of think there's a question around universality and particularity. And I think that, you know, hopefully the universal experience of this time is that we can feel more compassion for each other. And the particular experience of this time is that we can consequently, um, you know, look at particular stories and feel compassion for those the people in those stories. Tanya? Compassion, conversation. I'm just like uh, pulling from these um these comments, I, um, I'm waiting I'm, and I'm very like steeped in Latinidad and I'm sorry, I'm so myopic. I'm still in tunnel vision about Latinidad, but I think that's, I think that's what I'm supposed to be. I hope these conversations that the reckoning that happened this summer, you know, engendered, I hope that at least for Latinx, Latine, I use the terms interchangeably, um, Latina storytelling, I hope that they transform into production because, uh, right now production and just visibility, because we, we've seen what happens when we don't have our narratives up there. And and right now, stuff is very similar than when we last talked in November. It's a lot of conversation <laughs> for us, for, for Latinas. So I'm waiting to see if, which what I hope uh, to be like inclusive, complicated storytelling, at, at least Latinas have not been allowed to um, sort of take up space in, in, in the narrative and the of, of this nation, you know, like with our contributions, with our, we don't have like our big like hero stories. I'm talking like our big like political hero stories. We don't have like period dramas like or like genre stuff helmed by us like we don't have all those POVs you know out there but we've contributed to history so like I hope that the talk and the conversation starts to turn into action you know like actually like putting you know so I'm still in that like uh, waiting phase yeah well look, obviously Tanya you're you know writer creator and what we're hoping that you will be writing those stories and obviously USG is completely supportive of getting those stories out into the marketplace. Sam? I, everyone had such great answers. I'm going to probably crib off all of you guys, but I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I think obviously the last several years has been very polarized and the division seems to only get deeper and deeper. And I think specifically what happened with the pandemic in the past year is that we, we won't survive if we don't come together. We are all in this together. We can't afford to be so divided because COVID doesn't care. If you guys don't like, if you we don't come together and figure it out, it's going to be our undoing. And and I think the pandemic really was a shock to the system and to this, not just American society, but global society, that we have to figure out a way to bridge the divide. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm such so passionate about storytelling is because to me, 
that's like the quintessential solution to do that. And, you know, weirdly, I don't know if the scare or the fear of the past year has shocked us into starting to come together or not. But I hope from a storyteller point of view, it sounds like we're all we've all been sort of moved and inspired by what we've been through, by what the world's been through the past year to come out with these stories now and really try and figure out a way, I don't know, to 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 heal these divisive wounds that are still pretty deep in this country and around the world. So Sam, what's the importance of telling these authentic yet universal stories, you know, for you as a writer creator? Yeah, I mean, Ebert, who I read constantly ever since I was a film nerd at eight years old, he described it best. He described film and television storytelling as an empathy machine. You know, when people describe our industry as escapism, I always sort of get a little cringe at that a little bit. I bristle at that because I don't want to just tell stories where you get to leave reality. I want to tell stories where we get to reflect the reality back to you in a way that you may never have experienced because of where you grew up, because of your race, because of your religion, whatever it is. That to me is the power of storytelling. And that that to me is what I personally, and especially in the last five years as representation has, you know, the interesting thing about the rise of representation in filmmaking, and it's slow, but it's, I'm starting to sense that it's happening, is that we can see that the audience actually wants it. Like, you know, it, it will make a lot of money at the same time. It is not just a, a homework assignment uh, that creators or writers or filmmakers have to do to check off the list. No, this is actually something people are hungry for. And that fills me with optimism because that means that it's not just about going into a theater and losing reality, but it's it's about actually embracing reality as it is. It's about finding other people that we've never known or could have known before and now connecting. Tanya, speaking of things that people are hungry for, I mean, I know you have this incubator program to help discover <laughs> new Latinx voices. What does it mean to you to advocate for representation both in front of and behind the camera? Well, I, on a personal level, it feels like somebody let me in the castle. So I'm just like lifting up somebody like, come on, come through, come through so that we can take up space that, that we've been, you know, because like Sam was saying, um, it's it's such an important medium. We we can affect perspective and that affects culture. So we change culture in a way like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm queer and brown like that. There's not a lot of depictions of, of, of that. So when we have and, and I'm just saying a positive, complicated depictions of that, that's there's there's power in that, you know, um, but it's it's everything because um, I think because we haven't been allowed at the helm a lot. I think it's so important to to create opportunities like when I did Vida, it was an all Latina writers room, all Latina directors, you know, all Hispanic female um, editors, because like how much more Latina gays do you want to get than that? Like that, that was the experiment. And I think I'm not saying that every every show should be like that, but like even even that now that's created careers, that's created um, people I can't get a hold of anymore because they're so fancy. They got their own show. You know, it's fantastic. And the incubator sort of it wants to emulate a bit of that because it's like a properly. I'm so grateful to UCP. I'm not just being a but like they're properly funding it, which means respect, you know, like like um, actually commissioning the five uh, participants that we're going to choose is is not just like being on a list or some. It's it's saying we have faith in your voice. And, you know, and, and that's that we don't get a, a lot of that a century, you know. Um, so I'm just, I'm so I'm over the moon about this um, incubator. It's um, it's going to. Uh, it's going to lift the door for a lot of people so we can do this. You know. <laughs> 
but we look forward to obviously to working with all of those people. So Tony, we know that no one person can really bear the responsibility of representing an entire community, but tell me the importance of you having a representative voice in entertainment. Um, when I was at university, I remember something that uh, Jean-Paul Sartre said, I studied existentialism and philosophy and <laughs> led me down some rabbit holes. But one of the things he said was that, you know, we re recreate ourselves in culture. That's one of the things we automatically do. And I think it's because we work in an emotional medium. So, you know, like often our decisions are based on what we feel. And so you kind of recognize yourself and that's so when the world is say, um, led by straight white men, then that, 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 that kind of emotional register replicates itself, you know, so the world becomes more, more of versions of that. Um, and so when you have people who have different life experiences making the decisions, I, I think that what happens is that, you know, what we respond to is, is slightly different. Sometimes it's the same, but, you know, because no, no one responds the same as anyone else anyway. But, but you know, but, but we, the things that I value, like seeing stories that I haven't seen before, you know, in worlds I haven't seen before, particularly in uh, economic situations that are, that are normally not represented, you know, like see, seeing all of those things are really important to me because they resonate for me because of my past and, and my history. And so that's why I think it's important. I don't think there's any magic to it because, you know, like I, I am very much against the idea that I can represent anyone other than myself and I always try to shy away from that. But I, I am absolutely a believer that my set of experiences affect how I act in the world. So Deborah and Tony, you both were in full production early on during the return to set in the middle of the pandemic. Deborah in New Jersey, Tony in Australia. What are the lessons you learned while in production during this pandemic? Well, it's been an incredible experience. And, but we have pulled together, you know, in a way that maybe we wouldn't have ordinarily. I mean, it's so funny. I, I said this now, and you know, a lot of us have been vaccinated and, you know, we're, we obviously the protocols have been very strict and stringent and safety first and we're testing every day and, you know, everything's been slowed down, whatever. But it also made us realize that we were doing something really special, that we had to take care of each other, that, you know, we had to be safe, both mm -hmm. onset and offset, because we all needed each other. And so there's really an incredible sense of community and pride and joy that we've accomplished something great under, under these circumstances. And that, you know, we were giving people work. I mean, people, you know, when we started in November, many, many people in our crew had not worked in months and both, and were coming out of, you know, emotional and financial hardship and the jobs were really, you know, even more important than, than ordinarily. Um, but, you know, the one of the funny things we laugh about is we haven't seen each other without masks. I mean, other than, you know, the actors. So we laugh at some point. We got, you know, we hopefully get to the point we have can have a, a big party and everybody can take their masks off. And we'll be like, oh my God, that's what you really look like. Um, but uh, we feel very fortunate. And, uh, you know, it, I mean, it, an incredible year. I laugh and say I haven't seen most people's legs, you know, in a year either. Oh my God, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tony? You certainly have to learn patience and to just kind of like roll with things and that, you know, you can usually find some way around. We shut down for nine months and, uh, you know, we had an actor, a child actor. I, I think there's going to be a pandemic thing where, where, where child actors suddenly shoot up about five inches between scenes. Um, <laughs> I think that, <laughs> so, um, 
so we had that and you know and voices breaking and you know all that and and because we were shooting an american show in australia which is like a, a bit of a test case we we had to fly actors back from all parts of the world and um, we we did it when we were in stage four lockdown. I have to sort of say uh, the MBCU team and the production team were amazing because at one point we, we just didn't know how we were going to finish the show and um, they just rolled the dice. We were in stage four lockdown and we had to book the flights and we booked them. And by the time the actors got here, because of the way Australia had treated the pandemic, we had had zero cases in the community for four weeks. But there was no, you know, we had eliminated COVID. And so when they got here, the actors just felt so much safer. And, you know, I mean, we did all the protocols. We did everything that we, we had to do. And that, that was absolutely the right way to go. But, you know, people did feel much more comfortable. And, and uh, we finished the show. So for all of you, I mean, what, you know, whether it's on the set or in the writer's room or just at home working, what are some of the creative solutions that you use to adapt to, you know, the COVID restrictions and the new, you know, way of working? Do you think you will keep some of these new habits going forward? I, I will just chime in and say, you learn that traveling across town in LA for an hour for like a 30 minute meeting, a 45 meeting is not necessary. I would say that the, the biggest change, and I hope this is like, industry-wide, not just me, that this is not scary anymore. To do a Zoom call is not like an exotic thing to ask people to do anymore. I like that it's normalized to a certain extent. Now, at the same time, I, I don't want to do a writer's room like this anymore. Like, I think that, I hope that we can go back and do that in person. But I think you can start to prioritize your day. We're all busy showrunners. It's a very demanding job where you have to meet and talk with people in all different stages of production. And it's a, it will, I think this will become a very efficient, handy tool to pick and choose what meetings you can do over resume and what meetings you absolutely have to do. Yeah, I think the world is going to find a hybrid between, you know, everything on Zoom and everything on person. Sam, we all agree with you. Like, I think about the my car was my office, you know, my second office in LA because, I mean, you know, you're right back and forth in traffic, over the hill, whatever, wasted time. On the other hand, I tell you, I miss casting in person. <laughs> there's, you know, there's only so much... You, you, I mean, we, we had to do it, you know, on Zoom, but I just love the, the feel of someone in the room where you can just read the body language and the little things. And I think, you know, that that makes a huge difference. And I think, you know, this Zoom is really efficient for getting the work done, but it's, you know, but you're not getting the conversations, at, you know, when you're grabbing a cup of coffee or the the, the chat or the, the con like, oh, I didn't know you played football in high school. I mean, you know, just really getting to know someone outside of the work. So I think we'll find, we will all find this hybrid that will work efficiently and allow us to enjoy life more. Because that's the other thing coming out of this. We all realize that life is fragile and that we want the balance between, you know, the gift that we have to create content for people around the world is extraordinary, but also every day matters and you have to live it to the fullest. Isn't it interesting that we discovered how important what we do, storytelling is, 
again, like people forget, I mean, if we can call us artists, um, uh, I don't know how you view yourself, but like forgot the artists and the storytellers, like when we were in lockdown and stories were the way, you know, to, to sort of soothe the fears and the everything. I, I don't know. I just like, was like, oh, we, we, we are important. I mean, it's not just entertainment. It's all sorts of things, you know, um, babysitters were, you know, um, I think I, I'm just yes. Anding them, um, priorities. Like I just went for the first time after I got vaxxed, I got the J and J no, no, um, I'm fine. <laughs> got that weird, weird vaccine. I didn't die. Um, but I went, um, for my first business lunch, you know, and I was like, and, and he hugged me and I was like, ah, ah, like it was so <laughs> awkward and I didn't want to be there for the first half hour. And then it was great. It was like, I forgot how necessary this is. You know, y'all had hired me eight months ago. We never met in person. You know, it was like this great, but then, um, he had forgotten how to, oh, I live in the Valley and I have to get back home. Like that stuff is, I do think we're going to have to prioritize, prioritize and do a hybrid thing. Cause it's, it, it's much more efficient, but, but the human stuff, like we have to figure out where we, where, where we do need it but so i'm just yes ending what y'all said <laughs> all i can do is double and um, uh I, I i loved the fact that everything kind of slowed down you know and that we you know like the 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 best part of your day was the first coffee and then the next best was the second coffee and you know just so just and t- taking time to read and think think about the world as well and i think that not traveling is part of that i mean you have to cross la i have to go 16 hours on a plane to get to a meeting so um, you know like not having to do that um being able to read being able to think being able to engage with the world in a slightly different way i think it will affect all of our work i think it, uh, hopefully it will deepen the work and yeah absolutely 100% with tanya that you know like i do think that and and sam like, i do think that what we do is important because i sort of think about what we do even do in a writer's room we, we just look for truth. You know, we sit there and we try to work out, oh, is that true or not? You know, is that true for that character or not? And, and character is is what makes everything possible in a universal and human way. Like, because, you know, character kind of crosses over all kinds of boundaries. So when you, when you have a truthful character, you can speak to people who are not, you know, like you because they recognize that character. And, and it's those kinds of, and then when you say something that's really, I mean, the things that always get me are when someone's, when, when work speaks something that is both true and also I hadn't seen it before. And then I go, wow, this is amazing. That's illuminating. And it's also why work from diverse backgrounds <laughs> works so well at the moment, because we haven't seen it before almost all the time. So it's always, you know, it's almost always singular and unique. But, you know, those, I think those, um, you know, those are the takeaways for me that, you know, maybe we can deepen the way that we work through having a little bit more time to reflect upon it. I mean, those are incredibly thoughtful answers from all of you. And I, I do think that this year that we've all been through, I, I think has really just made us all really very clearly understand what is important, you know, for all of us in our lives. What are the things we have to do every day? And what are the things that we don't really need to do? So thank you. So I'm just going to go on to something a little different. So I'm not, I'm curious about, we've seen a rise in reboots, you know, um, and, uh, you know, some people sort of consider them feel good, maybe nostalgia viewing, especially during the last year when people were looking for comfort. So Deborah, I'm going to throw this to you because, you know, you have the most successful reboot of the year right now with the reimagined Equalizer. Do you think this content trend is here to stay? I, I mean, there's been different years where people say, oh, reboots are out, and then someone does another one and it's successful. What do you think? I think as a practical matter, it's here to stay because a title and IP 
and familiarity that helps you at least break through in the marketplace, right? And at a time when everything is so noisy and there's so much coming at people or there, there will be when we get fully back to, you know, it's like you're always trying to figure out how do I, how do I break through? How do I make my show distinctive? I think, you know, this has been a really interesting and obviously great experience for me. I think in the difference between the things that work and that don't is if there's a reason for the reboot to exist, right? It's not just, oh, well, let it work before and let's redo it. I mean, I think, and this happened, you know, pre-pandemic and, you know, pre-Black Lives Matter, who knew? But, you know, we also had that sense, given the political climate we were in, in this country in particular, that people were feeling helpless and hopeless and disenfranchised and ignored, and they were in pain, and the system was broken, and the justice system was broken, and the government didn't care what happened to you. And wouldn't it be amazing if there was somebody that you could call that, you know, would help you? And the fact that it's a Black woman made it even more special. So I I think part of our success is that, again, we were able to tap into the the zeitgeist, you know, the painful zeitgeist in some ways of of, of where the country was then, is now, and and sadly it's going to be, you know, a bit in the future. So, yeah. And Sam, you're working on a reimagining Battlestar. Galactica? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on reboots? I mean, it's it's what Deborah just said. There has to be a reason. I mean, let, let's take the Ronald Moore Battlestar, which was in and of itself a reboot. He did that in, you know, a couple of years after 9-11, and it showed that he wanted to tell a story about a collective society going through a, a, a traumatic event, like a terrorist attack, and what that means to live with that sort of PTSD. So that's somebody, that's a a brilliant writer who's taking the reality that he's in and, you know, and refashioning this story and giving it meaning and, and, and context for today. And that's, that's obviously what, I mean, that's my hope in approaching our, our version of Battlestar. But I have to say that in general reboots to me, it, it's weird because, you know, there's that saying, you know, there's only seven stories and we're all just remaking it, right? Every romantic comedy is basically a reboot, right? I mean, we all know you know, they, they come together, but they come apart, but you make them, you know, uh, if it's a queer romantic comedy, well, that's, I've never seen that. That's new. That's fresh. That's interesting. That That's the point of view and perspective that I think Tanya was talking about earlier. That's the stuff that you can start to inject as a writer or creator or filmmaker that gives it a new context for today and, and reflects something about our reality that we haven't traditionally seen. And to, to uh, the earlier point being made that we have been basically viewers of straight white men content for six, whatever, 60, 70 years, it's exciting to then take these titles like The Equalizer and really spin it on its head in a totally different way. And it just makes it feel new. It doesn't even make it feel like a reboot. It feels like just a, a new vital story. Sam, we're we're talking to you right now, but it's not a reboot, but you're about to go into production on, on a new series, Gaslit. Can you tell me what drew you to that story in particular? Yeah, well, Gaslit is based on the podcast Slow Burn. And in their first season, it's an excellent podcast. It's about the Watergate breakup in the 70s. And talk about talk about different perspectives. So I grew up watching All the President's Men, right? That's, you know, uh, Pakula is one of my favorite filmmakers. And it's one of my favorite movies from the 70s. Um, that's sort of all I knew about Watergate was this story being told through these straight white men reporters reporting uh, breaking that uh, that 
huge scandal back in the day. But when I listen to the podcast, the story is actually much deeper. It goes much deeper than that. And honestly, my heart connected with the central character there, which was Martha Mitchell, John Mitchell's wife, who really had a lot to do with how Nixon was brought down. And honestly, her story is so heartbreaking because even though she was sort of one of the first whistleblowers in all of this, because she was a woman, because she was sort of ostracized by her own husband, even, it was very telling about how people can be silenced, how especially by men in power uh, and especially women. Um, and so for all of those reasons, I thought, wow, that is a Watergate story I have never seen before. And I've seen a lot of Watergate documentaries, read a lot of Watergate books. I have never heard or seen this story before. And um, the first person I called was Julia. And I said, do you want to do this? And she said, yes. And I, I knew then at that point that there was, we had something really special that even, again, you can kind of technically call it a reboot. I mean, you're you not wrong in saying that probably because it kind of is. I think we all know that story, but we've never seen it through Martha's eyes. And when he says Julia, he's on a first name basis with Julia. Oh, Ross. sorry. Sorry, Julia Ross. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's cool. such a brilliant podcast. I've listened to it. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And 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 um, by the way, Sean Penn, not to continue name dropping, but I will. Sean Penn, uh, who's a very good friend of Julia, is playing John Mitchell. And, and when we have a great filmmaker, Matt Ross, who's the captain uh, fantastic, who's directing it. So I, I just think all the elements in that were really special and came together. But ultimately, it is that, that story about Martha that was so exciting to me. And as we're talking about things that we're currently filming, Tony, you're currently in production on Buyers, uh, an anthology yeah. series about the devastating Australian, uh, recent Australian buyers. Can you tell me why that story was important to you? Well, that, that was just something that, you know, like I was watching the bushfires happen and it was only 15 months ago and it was such a devastating global catastrophe um, and which seemed to signal, you know, something that was happening to our planet. That, and I thought, well, how can we respond as artists? And th there were all of these heartbreaking stories about how, uh, and also stories of everyday heroism. So, you know, it's about how people respond to, um, you know, like ordinary people respond to catastrophic situations and and kind of step up. And 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 that felt that that felt like a really important thing to say both to for the Australian audience but it, it felt like it was a global story as well so so that you know and fortunately um, you know the our um, public broadcaster in Australia the ABC were really onto it straight away and absolutely understood why it was an important story to be told and we just wanted to tell it in a way which was um, also, cognizant that it needed to be entertaining and and engaging and emotional and all those things that good drama is and not just worthwhile so so we're making these um, this very big tv show with an incredible cast and uh we're four weeks into production right now. Uh, and looking forward to seeing that. You've got an incredible cast indeed. Um, Tanya, you were talking earlier about how we also discovered the importance of storytellers, you know, during the pandemic. So is there a trend or, a, or an incident from this past year that you're looking forward to telling stories about? The dramatizing that I'm working on yeah. right now? Um, it's more like the experience. I, I, you know, I ran away to London to, to run, like, I 
because I had to go. I, I, um, and I came back with a pilot. Um, I never see uh, Mexicans in the global space. So like I, you know, that my experience of my, uh, my identity having no context in that city um, in London was really interesting because I was so steeped in the words of an administration and, you know, like the, the point of view of, about, you know, me, I'm a rapist and I'm a whatever and put in cages and like all that had no context over there. So, and so I hope that um, these next few uh, things I want to produce are complicated when it comes to identity in a way that I um, we've had to uh, just be sort of the model minority or sort of serve stereotypes, sort of putting these two Mexicans in, in London, what, what does that do? You know, so that I, but that was literally from my experience of being over there five months. I was like, well, what, what is this? I mean, I, I'm here for a reason. Right. Um, and then um, th this other thing I'm working on brujas, brujería, and I want to decolonize magic, but that's something, I, I mean, during this pandemic, I went to the ancestors a lot. I was like, I need to go back to the roots, you know, and um, because it was a lot of alone time because this thing caught me single, right? So I'm here just praying to the goddess the whole, every day. You don't want to see the amount of candles that I have going right now. Well, there, there's like a, a reclaiming of, of magic that it's always been European, you know, Eurocentric. And when I went over there, I was like, oh my God, we're even just every, our vision of, of brujería. So like culturally, I want to do some stuff that that was sort of um, highlighted by my experiences in this, this pandemic. Let's hope it happens. And I'm, I'm also working on a something I mean, with an IP and it's the first time like an, an you know reclaiming yeah. something and it, it, it's interesting because it's like it's just an interesting process to do it because it's like a reclaiming a cultural reclaiming that's really interesting when you just said decolonizing magic because I think in a in a very western tradition magic has such negative connotations and in so many other cultures magic or whatever the different words for magic be it you know spiritualism, or Udu, yeah. spiritualism are all embraced so that's yeah. really interesting and yeah. they're very very female centric, right? Like they're like, yes. but, but that has been, you know, it, centering an indigenous and in an indigenous culture. We, we had to sort of hide um, our iconography in, in Christian right. sort of. Right. Iconography. Right. And then yeah. the Yoruba traditions, which I do practice, I I'm not a, or um, crown Santera, but I, but I practice, they were, you know, carried through the middle passage and they were also shut down, you know, when, when, and that, but the, the version of magic that we have is like, you know, that Victorian corset and the hat and it's very Eurocentric and it's like for you know we, we've been here too you know um praying to similar goddesses so anyway so I I hopefully the show will will do that exciting looking forward to hearing more about it yeah so um this is really fantastic before we go I mean does anyone have anything they want to add about their perspectives on the future of storytelling or what they hope to see in the future of storytelling you know what I think I've always believed that the similarities amongst all people are much greater than the differences. Again, and we've been reminded coming out of this horrible year how connected we all are and how fragile we are on the one hand and how strong we all are on the other. So I hope that, you know, we just all continue to tell stories that bring people together and, and help people understand each other in a really honest and real way. And we will, you know, we will continue it, by doing that, we will continue to do good in the world. And I, I sort of also hope that the, all of these reckonings and recognition of power and, you know, holding people accountable for their behavior continues within our industry. I think that it's a really important 
um, time to recognize, you know, like the way that power has been abused. And I, I would, and I think that it's an ongoing conversation that we can need to keep happening, you know, because there are systems within our industry in particular, which are very unequal. And I think that we, we need to keep examining them and finding, finding best practices for the way in which we can treat each other. You know, like it's, we, we just have to be nicer to each other, kinder to each other. I'll say amen to that. I, oh, amen. I second that emotion. Um, I hope we don't lose stamina. So I'm, yes, ending you again. Because mm. the, the conversation was so vivid and like fierce around the summer, right? About like, we must make these changes. We must. And then it's a little bit like... <laughs> don't lose because the same problems are the problems, you know, and there are storytellers ready with brilliant stories, you know, to tell yeah. uh, it's just a matter of like the people having, you know, the gatekeepers and everyone having faith in, in, in those new perspectives. And, and I just hope that um, we don't lose that stamina. Yeah. Keep it, keep the same energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just um, add, oh, I was just going to add really quickly. There was this great New York Times article uh, by Franklin Leonard. I think some of you might know that's the blacklist. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's outlined how anti-black bias costs the industry $10 billion a year. And read the article. It's pretty fascinating. But what it, what it said to me was audiences crave it. It is not, I know a lot of people like to turn this into a political thing. But, oh, it's a woke TV show that's going to talk about X, Y, and Z now. It is what audiences want. Clearly, it is what I, Black Panther wasn't the most successful Marvel movie just because it was about a superhero. Audiences want to see their reality reflected. And white, straight white people, not to keep harping on that, but I will keep harping on that because it had it was something that growing up as a brown person in New Jersey, I thought I wanted to be. And I was like so, sort of subliminally whitewashing myself. But what's exciting is, is that representation is like taking off in a really exciting way not just in in front of the camera but behind the camera and because that's that's the issue right sometimes you would see yourself on tv but they didn't act or talk or behave exactly the way you your world was and now that's changing because of the important ingredient that's evolving which is the people behind the camera the people not just the filmmakers but well all the filmmakers including the department heads and the and the production designers and the and the and the costume so it's like for me that to me is what i i'm excited about the future to start because man, I feel like we are just seeing a little bit of it right now. And look how look how popular and and like really entertaining it is. Just to just to even just like the just seeing the, some of the best picture nominees. Uh, you know, just it's exciting to start to see this thing crack open. And I think it's gonna like I think there's a lot more that's gonna come out in the next couple of years. So that's what that's what gets me excited about the future of storytelling. Hollywood has finally realized that diversity is good. Uh, yes, right. That's really what it, it's not just oh we should be doing it because it's the right thing to do because that doesn't move no. this town. But there's money that they were leaving on the table and they know it. And this study, you know, from McKinsey highlighted even more. So hopefully we can all keep pushing, you know, keep knocking down that door. I love what Tanya had to say about, you know, like making complicated characters and ma making, you know, not just diverse characters, but real human beings that are kind of like, who don't do, you know, like we, we don't all think the same thing. And we all, you know, like we, we, we're all, really different and 
how do we, in the work that we make, keep progressing these conversations? Like, how do we do it in a way which challenges audiences as well? You know, I, I think that they're the things that excite me as an artist in, in the way forward, you know, like not to say something that I kind of already know, but to see whether I can find something that I don't know and then communicate that to other people. Great. I mean, Deborah, Tony, Tanya, Sam, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me in this great discussion. We could actually just keep going on because you guys are incredibly eloquent about all of this and also very passionate about it, which is really fantastic. And I'm thrilled that all four of you happen to be at USG, our studio group. So, um, I know I speak for all of us. We thank you for your support. Uh, yeah. Of course. Absolutely, absolutely Paulina. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, look, it's easy to support, you know, really talented, brilliant people. So I'm not doing that much. But, um, you know, I want to thank all of you for tuning in, for joining us. And thank you to um, everyone at C21 for having us. So have a great one, everyone. Thank you again. Thank you. Deborah Martin-Chase, Sam Esmail, Tanya Sirocco and Tony Ayres speaking with Perlina Ikbokwe as part of C21's Content LA On Demand, which got underway online last week. Video versions of all the sessions are available on c21media.net if you're a pro subscriber and there'll be more from the event in the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.